Thank you, for Veronica, for braving your cold. I hope I don't catch what you had by holding this mic. Uh, we have a, a wonderful privilege, uh, great joy uh, to hear from one of my dear friends, uh, dear brothers. Uh, I met Byung Ham when we were uh, young, uh, living in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area uh, at a basketball court, a basketball tournament uh, in Maryland. <clears throat> and through the years, gotten to know each other um, in much deeper ways and, and so thankful for his friendship and his partnership uh, in the gospel ministry. Uh, as Veronica talked about um, the brokenness and the pain of, of this world, um, that's real and that's true and we'll see that and we'll experience that. But one of the things I love about uh, Pastor B is that uh, he knows that and he doesn't pretend like it's not there, both in our lives, in the world, in the church, and in particularly in his uh, the greatest gift of his life happened when he was a teenager, so 16 years of age. That's the age of, of, of some of us in here. Um, that's when he came to know the Lord, and his life was, was transformed. And from that point um, of brokenness, uh, very difficult past, um, the gospel really made sense. And it really changed everything about him. And, and within a few years, he was called into ministry, preaching the word of God and um, you know, there, there's a, a few of us who, who you know, we, we travel different places and, and, and preach. And uh, when people ask me for recommendations for, for people to come and, and speak, there's a small circle of friends that um, I regularly uh, refer people to. And uh, Pastor B is one of them because there is a, a weightiness to his words. He's deep um, because he understands the depth of the gospel and it reaches into the deepest places and the hardest places of our lives. And he keeps it real. And so uh, people who meet him, uh, it's hard to forget him because he takes you into a place that's really deep, uh, really quickly, and uh, really does leave a lasting impression. Um, last year, probably the second, no, no doubt, the second greatest gift of his life uh, was given to him when he met his wife, Nikki, uh, Nikki Ellis, who getting to know her um, as glowingly as I speak about my friend B, um, I may uh, have even greater praises to sing of his wife, uh, Nikki. Um, she's going to come, and, and at the end of our worship, or at the end of B's sermon, she's going to lead us. She's a prolific worship leader and, and sings in many different uh, gospel contexts and conferences, and she's going to lead us in a time of response uh, after B preaches the word. So let's give a warm welcome, Pastor B, uh, Pastor Byung-Ham. <laughs> hey, baby. How you all doing this morning? It's good. Uh, you know... Pastor D.L. started off by saying my full name, right, Byung. My Korean name is Han Byung-Yong. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I got the name B, and I'll tell you right quick how I got the name. Uh, so when I was growing up in the United States, so my parents immigrated here in 1980. Uh, couldn't nobody say my name, right? It's five letters. It's five letters and one syllable, right, B-Y-U-N-G. And so a lot of my American friends, they couldn't pronounce my name. They'd be like, Bong? Be young, buy young, right? Um, and I said, man, this got to be a better way. And then uh, one of my African-American friends looked at me and said, we're going to call you B. You B. And it stuck. And uh, ever since then, even uh, that's one thing that's followed me uh, after I received Christ, after I trusted in Christ, is my nickname is B. And so you're welcome to call me B or Byung or Pastor B, whatever you feel most comfortable with. Uh, but with all that said, I do want uh, to share the, share the word of life with you all. Before I share the word of life, 
I have to tell you about my wife. Baby, where are you? Stand up. She, there she is. There she is. I'll look at this. Baby, stay a little longer. It's okay. It's okay. My wife, Nikki. My wife, Nikki. Yes, uh, we have a, a serendipitous story uh, that I can't share at this time, but if you'd like to hear it, I'll be happy to. Okay, this thing's not staying up for me. It's okay. Uh, if there's, if, if. You guys like to hear it. Um, we can share it real, real quick over lunch or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's really a privilege to be here with you guys. Today we're going to be in Psalm 23. So can you turn there with me? Psalm 23. And I chose this psalm because it's a psalm of reflection. And this is the last Sunday of our year, of 2017. And David is reflecting upon uh, his past his present, and he is anticipating his future. He is eagerly anticipating his future. And we see this in the six verses. Uh, this is a renowned psalm, whether you're religious or irreligious, uh, whether you're spiritual or unspiritual, uh, you probably have heard of this psalm. And I think this psalm reaches all people, uh, all different kinds of demographic and races and creeds and religions, because everyone has felt alone. There's a cosmic loneliness in all of us. And so that's why I think that this psalm transcends all kinds of people. Even rappers quote this psalm, right? Even rappers quote this psalm. And so let's look at Psalm 23. And it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let us bow our heads one more time. And let's ask the Holy Spirit for help in our time of need. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable with the gospel of grace. And I'll pray that for us. O holy God, that is what you are. And yet, you are so approachable. You are so holy yet so approachable because of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we can draw near. It's an ability you gave us through a perfect relationship with your son. And now we draw near to the Father. Um, Thank you that you delight in us today, that you are happy with us, that you don't just put up with us or tolerate us, but you embrace us and we belong to you. Thank you that this morning, as we confess our sins and as we admit our faults, Uh, The more we tell you, the more you will love us. 
And in our isolation and loneliness at times, Lord, thank you. You are the God who draws near. You are mighty to save. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When I think about uh, my relationship with God, it reminds me of my relationship with my father. And it, it reminds me of a time when, um, when I was about five or six or seven years old. And every year, just like every year, my dad's birthday would roll around. His, dad, his birthday is in March, just like mine. And so around February or early March, I would sneak up to my father and I'd say, Appa, Dad, you know, I need money. <laughs> and my dad said, why do you need money? Right? What do you need money for? Do you have bills to pay? And I said, no, no, no. And he, and he said, so why do you need money? And I said, I'll tell you later. And my dad is, you know, he's nunchi, right? He's smarter than me. He's wiser. He's more discernment. And so he knew why I needed money. Because I didn't have a job. And I couldn't pay for his birthday gift. And so every year I would ask my dad for money so I could go and buy him a birthday gift. You know, I call that the beautiful cycle. <laughs> right? The beautiful cycle, right? I depend on my dad for money, and then he depends on me for the gift. <laughs> Isn't that how all of us operate with God? You know, I have nothing to offer him. I have nothing to bring. I ask him. I depend on him. And he gives me everything, and then I just give it back to him. I had no money. I had no job. And I said, Dad, I can't buy you anything on your birthday unless you give me the provision. And this is what David is telling us today. In our country, we are all cognizant and we are familiar probably with the Declaration of Independence, right? The, right? We all know about the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. But in today's passage, David is showing us a declaration of dependency, a declaration of dependency upon God, that real freedom is not uh, something that I can create, that I can create my own meaning and purpose in life. Instead, Meaning and purpose in life is finding out who I belong to, whose I am, not who I am, who am I, who am I, whose am I, and living according to that nature and those restrictions. True freedom lies in that relationship. You know, the goal of parenting, going back to my mom and dad, the goal of parenting is to make your child independent, to make your child self-sufficient to make your child an independent human being, right? If I still ask my dad for money now to buy my birthday present, <laughs> he's going to be uh, irate, right? He's going to be an angry man. If I say, Appa, Dad, your birthday's coming around. I'm almost 40, but I still need, to, I still need money so I can buy you something. He'd be like, boy, right? <laughs> he would say something else, but, um, you know, he would be pretty mad at me. So, we know that the goal of parenting and the goal of a lot of mentorship and even sometimes discipleship is to make this individual or a crop of people become self-sufficient and independent, but not so with God. The goal of God is to turn independent people 
into more dependent people. This is the goal of your salvation. This is the goal of our faith. You know, I know some of us, um, you know, we, we, we love feeling self-sufficient and we love um, being self-sustained. But God abhors, God loathes, God is against the proud because grace to the humble, right? And God is trying to make independent people into people who are completely dependent on him. You know, when I think about my greatest sin, and I've committed some <laughs> gargantuan sins, I'm a massive failure. And I'm a sinner, saved by grace. But when I think about all the sins I've committed uh, after conversion, after I became a Christian, I realized that my greater sin, my greatest sin, that there is no greater th- sin in my life than to not see my need for God. This is my greatest sin, right? It's not just lust or pride or selfish ambition. That my greatest sin is that I do not see my need for God. I do not see my need for God. So with all that said, I want to dive into this passage. Uh, Many of us may not know the context behind Psalm 23, um, but what I understand about Psalm 23 is that King David wrote this, and King David did not write this psalm while he was hanging out at a resort, sipping margaritas, you know. He didn't write this while he was on vacation. He wrote this while he was on the run. He was on the run like a fugitive. But this time, he was not running from Saul. He was running from his own flesh and blood, Absalom. You know, David was the most successful king of Israel. No greater king. But he failed because he failed at home. You know, you can be the best entrepreneur and the best employee or the best at what you do. But the fathers in this room know, the mothers in this room know, that if you failed at home, you failed. You failed. David failed. He didn't raise Absalom well. I mean, if your own son's trying to kill you, all right, your own son's trying to chop off your head so he can wear the crown, I I think you failed. And we all have family problems. I have family problems. You have family problems. And during the holiday season, they become uh, magnified, right? Really magnified. David had family problems. He was a deadbeat dad in, in many ways. But there was hope for him. There was hope for him. And he was on the run, probably living in caves and living, um, you know, it reminds me, it's a foreshadowing of what, what Jesus said. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. <laughs> that was David. He had nowhere to lay his head. But, you know, he tells us, he tells us in this psalm, That God is his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He is telling us that God is a good shepherd. And he promises a personal relationship with those who depend on him. God promises a personal, an intimate, a delicate relationship with those who depend on him. That is the condition. Not those who are strong or mighty or well put together or competent, but those who depend on him. Notice that David doesn't say, the Lord is my mama shepherd. He doesn't say, the Lord is my 
daddy shepherd. He says the Lord is first person, my shepherd. You know, there's an epidemic in a lot of churches today. Uh, just like my home. You know, my dad used to smoke, and he used to give me secondhand smoking. And I said, Dad, did you know that secondhand smoking can kill me? And I wasn't even concerned about him. <laughs> I was just like, Dad, when you smoke, I smoke too, right? Secondhand smoke, I thought, bad, right? He said, roll the window down. <laughs> All right? But there is another epidemic in our churches, secondhand faith. Right? Secondhand faith. How do you know you're a Christian? Because my mom's a Christian. My dad's a Christian. Um, my father's a leader in the church. My mom is a leader in church or something of that sort. But, you know, my goal as a preacher today is that you would have a personal relationship with God. That you would know him. Do you know him? Do you know him? David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And that's why he can say, I shall not want. I have all that I need. All that I need. And here are the promises of the good shepherd to David and to us. The good shepherd promises to be my personal provider. David tells us in the first three verses that God is my provider. See, we are needy. Need is a term used by creation. We need things. We are needy. But it is not a term used by a creator. God provides everything we need because he doesn't need a thing. He doesn't need a thing. Need is a term spoken by creatures. And David declares that he is a needy man. You know, I just got done with the retreat called K-Flower. And I'm not going to front. I'm not going to sit here and pretend. Some of these students are so needy. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And they keep me up all night. <laughs> they keep me up all night. And sometimes I resent them, but then I remember I'm just like that. I am so needy. And, you know, some of you have needy friends and needy family members, and sometimes you resent them too, right? You begrudgingly uh, do your duties for them. But David is self-aware. That is what humility is, self-awareness. And he says, I am just a sheep. And when I was young, I always thought that it was Strange. It was very peculiar that God would compare human beings to sheep. Because sheep are dumb creatures. Right? They're unintelligent. And they're not good looking. Right? So I was like, why will God compare us to sheep? Why the metaphor of sheep? And I realized not because we're ugly or because we're stupid. It's because we are so, so needy. We are needy. That is why God compares us to sheep. And we perish without the shepherd. We need God. We need him. And I know that uh, sometimes we forget that God provides for our financial needs. God provides for um, our medical needs. God provides for the needs of our family. And I don't want you guys to think that your needs are insignificant or inferior compared to other people's needs. You know, we have a one-of-a-kind testimony, a one-of-a-kind faith, one-of-a-kind worship, and a one-of-a-kind relationship with God. 
all of us. That's why even when that young lady came up here, she had a one-of-a-kind story. You know why she had a one-of-a-kind story? Because she got a one-of-a-kind relationship with God. And that one-of-a-kind relationship with God gives God one-of-a-kind glory. We all have little needs or big needs. And it's okay to come to God with these needs. You know, David had a need. He needed to be right with his son. He needed to be uh, right with his kingdom and his people. But he tells us the most basic of needs that God meets. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That apart from him, he has nothing. Apart from him, he has no good thing. That God is provider, and he promises. Secondly, we see that David tells us in verse 4 and 5 that the good shepherd promises not only provision, but to be my personal protection and healer. Personal protection and healer. David says in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I come from Baltimore City, and you guys have probably heard it's a rough place. The riots occurred a couple years ago, right? It's a rough place. You don't want to walk alone at night. Well, one night I did walk alone, and I was held, uh, I was mugged at gunpoint. And I did the stupidest thing. I didn't want to give uh, this, person, this, this person my money. Uh, so I told this person, go ahead and shoot. Go ahead and shoot. I, you know, this is really bold and dumb, but I knew he was a rookie mugger. Like, he was, he was, like this is, I could tell it was his first time, you know. It was his first time. Like, he, you know, he, he was, like, kind of shaking, you know. He was nervous. He didn't get his words out well, right? He couldn't enunciate, you know. You know. I was like, this is your first time, you know. You ain't going to shoot me. I had a lot of money on me, unfortunately, because I just got done closing my dad's uh, store. He's a beauty supply store, and I had done, I just finished wrapping things up. I had a lot of money on me. I said, you're going to have to shoot me if you want this money. Right. And so, you know, I, I, I was silly. You know, I thought I was rough, rugged, and raw. Right? I, I thought I was invincible. You know, David says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He's not a knucklehead like me. You know, he's not saying I fear no evil because he's so hard. He's such a menace to society. That's, that's not what David's talking about. He's not, he's not talking like me. He's not independent and self-sufficient like I thought I was bulletproof, like I was Teflon or something. But David says he fears no evil because you are with me. I want you to notice some, a transition in verses um, 1 through one through three into four. You know, in verses one through three, David speaks of God in third person. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He guides me. But in verse four, there's a transition. A shift from third person to second person. I will fear no evil because you are with me. When the lights go out, God draws near. When it's just you in the darkness, God is there. God loves you. 
in the darkness. God meets you there. He is closer than your skin. And David is in the darkness. And he says, he fears no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, many people will know the staff is an instrument of consolation, an instrument, instrument of comfort, an instrument of therapy, right, for, for the uh, sheep. Because the, the shepherd would bring the sheep in and comfort it in the darkness. But you know, the rod is an instrument of discipline. When the sheep get out of line, the shepherd bangs the sheep. It says, stay in line. You know what I find so hopeful and endearing about this portion of Psalm 23? David is in the darkness, and it's all his fault. It's his fault he's in the darkness. It's nobody else's. Are you in a place this morning? I don't know what you've been through this past year. Only God knows. And whatever mess you're in, it's all your fault. It's your fault. You lied. You sinned against somebody. You made a mistake. And it's your fault. You're all alone and you're in the darkness. It's your fault you're there. It's all your fault. Nobody else's. Do you wonder, will God still meet me there when it's all my fault? Because some of us doubt God there, right? God, I deserve this. This is my punishment. This is my uh, penance. And I deserve to be here. But even there, God comforts David and he draws near. He brings him closer and he protects him, even from himself. You know, some of us need to be protected from our own thoughts. That's why we need to know the word of God and recite the word of God to ourselves. In the next verse, David says that God prepares a table before him in the presence of my enemies. I'm going to stop right there. God is throwing David a party. Now, when you think of a party, a birthday party, a wedding, some kind of shindig, who do you want at this party? You want all your favorite friends. You want all your favorite family members. You want your favorite foods. You want your favorite everything. But what kind of party is this? God doesn't invite anyone that loves David. He invites his enemies. He prepares a table. And he says that God invited all the people that rejected David, that assaulted David, that wounded David. Why would God invite all of David's enemies to this party? Because David needs to be healed. He needs healing. You and I need healing. You know, my mom and dad loved me very much. They loved me so much. There's nobody on the earth that loved me more than my mom and dad. But they have said some things to me. And I spent my whole life trying to prove them wrong. My mom and dad are not Christian. And so when I tried to become a pastor, when I became a pastor... They were so disappointed in me. They said, we did not leave Korea and come to America so that you can make less money than us. Right? 
so that you can be a poor pastor. And sometimes I feel like I'm in the presence of my enemies every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every family dinner. And they're just waiting for my downfall. We told you not to become a pastor. We told you not to follow Jesus. We told you, we told you, we told you. When I first became a Christian, everyone laughed at me. They said, you a Christian? Who's going to take you seriously? You are a thug. You are a gangster. <laughs> you're a gangpe, right? You still look like one, even though you're a pastor. <laughs> right? Right? Um, and sometimes uh, I, would, I would get invited to events like this, and, you know, the, 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 the first-generation pastor would look at me, and then look at the, look at the uh, EM pastor or the youth pastor and then look at me again and be like, you sure? <laughs> you sure about this, right? I think we made a mistake. <laughs> you know, I, I always feel like, man, I have a chip on my shoulder. Do you have a chip on your shoulder? You try, some of you guys are fueled by all the haters, all the naysayers, all the pundits, like an athlete. So what does God do for, for King David, for his son David? He brings all his enemies, and then he brings them up front, and he anoints his head with oil. See, oil is unfit for a sheep. It is expensive. It is costly. And God becomes the lifter of his head. He lifts his head up. He is humiliated, embarrassed, and a loser. And all his friends are probably, I mean, all his enemies are probably so happy, right? They just want to dance on his tombstone. And God is the lifter of his head and says, you are mine. He has the verdict that he always wanted. You are mine. You are mine. You know, I was telling the K-Flower students this past week that when I go to football games or basketball games um, uh, in high school, you know, when a young boy or a young girl scores or does something spectacular, a, a, a father or a mother stands up and says, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's my girl. That's my girl, right? But I've never seen a father or a mother say that when the child fumbles. Or misses the game-winning shot. That's my boy! That's my man, right? That's my son, right? They're quiet, <laughs> right, when, when their son or daughter blunders. But God is the only father that looks at you in your sin, looks at you in your failure, and says, that's my boy. That's my girl. You're mine. All those who are in Christ. God looks at it and says, this is my beloved. I am well pleased with him. I love him. That's my boy. And David experienced that in the presence of his enemies. And this is what we need, too, for healing. We need this. Lastly, uh, we see that 
not only is God provider, not only is God protector and healer, that God is the purpose and meaning of David's life. See, David knows in verse 5 and 6, the best is yet to come. Because you got to believe in that when you're in the darkness. The best is yet to come. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what I realize in marriage? I realize a lot of things. I'm not so great. I'm not so noble. I'm not, I'm not so like Christ after all. But one of the highlights of getting married, I've been married for nine months, is I've discovered that home is not Baltimore. Home is not Maryland. Home is not Korea or United States. Home is not a residence or a zip code. Home is relationship. Home is a relationship. And even though David is homeless and like an orphan, he says, I have a home with God. He is my home. And my baby Nikki will tell you, you know, we travel together. We miss our bed. We miss our air conditioner. We miss kimchi. Yeah, she eats kimchi more than me. Yeah. We miss a lot of things about home, but we are home. She is my home now. Wherever I am with her, wherever she is with me, I remember I'm, I'm still home. And I've never experienced that in my life. You know, when I wanted to marry an African-American woman, my mom and dad, uh, in some way, tried to disown me. I didn't feel like their son anymore. But I have a home in this relationship. There are many, there are many places in your life where you used to call home, and you found meaning and purpose in life there, because meaning in life does come from relationships. But wherever you are this morning, if you have a personal relationship with God, you have a home. You know, whatever it has cost you to be with God this year, it costs Jesus a lot more to be with you. You know what Christmas is about? You know what Christmas is really about? For the first time, God came to earth to save an independent people. For all eternity, God was dependent on the Father. Jesus and the Father depended on each other, the Holy Spirit. And you know what happened on the cross? For the first time, Jesus was independent, and he died. That's what happens to us when we are independent of God. We die. We perish. Everything ends. Jesus was all alone on the cross. He was independent of the Father for the first time in human and eternal history. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God turned his back on him. Jesus left home so we could have a home. 
Jesus was all alone so that we could have comfort. And Jesus could no longer depend on the Father so that we can, we can now depend on him. I want us to bow our heads at this time. And as we go to the Lord, I want you to remember, just like my earthly father, your heavenly father does not need your help to serve you. He does not need your help to love you. He does not need anything. He is our shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And he says that I lay my life down for the good shepherd, I mean for the sheep. And he says that there is one shepherd and one flock. But there are sheep. There are those who have not yet joined us. Perhaps you are one of those people this morning. You do not have a personal relationship with God. You cannot say the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. For others of us, we have become independent in our faith, in our walk with God. And it's time to become utterly dependent on him for protection, for healing, for, for provision and purpose and meaning in life. The goal of the gospel is to get you to God. It's not just to get you to heaven or get you out of hell. The goal of the gospel is to get you to God and only the grace of God can provide this, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Throw yourself upon him. Let him fight your battles. Let him win your wars. Let him soothe your soul. As you pray, uh, my dear wife will share a song of faith and victory with us. This is a hymn of personal thanksgiving for God's care. The specific circumstance is a deliverance from impending death, as my husband just described to us. The words of this psalm may be generalized to other kinds of answers to prayer, but the psalm is notable for its assumption that one's thanks is very personal deliverance 
is a very personal deliverance that is properly consummated in public worship. These words are excellent for God's people to use in giving public thanks at the end of the year, after receiving the word, after our own emergencies. Isaac Watts, the father of modern hymnody, titled it, Relief from Sickness. My ancestors described someone who would poeticize this hymn as Dr. Watts, because these words do provide that healing. So receive your healing today, church. I love the Spare! 
unto his throne. I'll haste unto his throne. Oh, church, we'll haste unto his throne.